Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined here in a little bit by Wake Forest coach Tom Walter, who is joining us to talk about the Demon Deacons. Uh, They're challenging 2021 season, but they're very promising future uh, and, and how they're looking to bounce back from that uh, that tough tough season uh, in 2021. So a lot to get into here about Wake Forest, and we're going to have a little bit of a broader conversation about the ACC as well here on today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, here we are. It is, uh, it is December 20th as we record this, just a few days before Christmas. Last week, we, uh, we came at you late in the week, and I told you it wasn't going to be like that again this week. Uh, because of the, the the way the calendar falls this year with Christmas Eve on a Friday. So here we are earlier in the week uh, recording another podcast, and we, uh, we're, we're, we're jamming this one in uh, between the end of the handbook and the start of the unofficial Christmas break that you and I are not actually taking, but are kind of taking. So uh, happy early Christmas break, I guess, to us both. Indeed, we are uh, bending over backwards in a way. Uh, not this is a huge imposition, but certainly trying to keep up, uh, keeping the, the podcast coming for you guys. So we squeeze this one in and otherwise a week that's kind of difficult to do so. Although we'll say having Christmas Eve on a Friday, Christmas on a Saturday, um, depending on your point of view, like you can either, I guess it can, can cut both ways, but I kind of like it because it, there's just something, those weeks where Christmas falls in like a, like a Wednesday, those are always kind of tough because it really does disrupt the entire week and you're not sure what to do, especially if you're in a position I've been in before where you're working a typical job where you're, you know, you have X number of, you know, paid time off days and you got to figure it out. And do you take them before Christmas or after Christmas? And what if you don't have, you know, enough days to take, to take that whole week off? What do you, you know, what do you do there? So I'm having it at the end of the week, I think is, is helpful in, uh, in that regard, one other thing. Uh, as, as someone that, that's never worked a desk job like that, if, say, you went in on the 23rd, is that, like, actually better because nobody's in your office? 100%. 100%. Like, I'm glad you asked the question because, like, I, I was actually someone who enjoyed – now, I never – so the, the way at my last job, the way it worked is we had, like, these floating holidays where you could choose between, for instance, the day after Thanksgiving – um, or Christmas Eve, um, or you could just use, you could use a vacation day, for example, for Christmas Eve or whatever. You, you didn't have to work one of those days, but I actually kind of enjoyed working. Actually, the, the day after Thanksgiving was typically my favorite to work because I usually wasn't going far out of town for Thanksgiving at that point in my life. And so, you, yeah, you go into the office and no one's there. Like you, so there's not a lot of distraction. The parking lot is pretty empty. You get a good parking spot. You you know, you can really plow through some stuff without being bothered by meetings or phone calls or, or whatever else. So that was always a day that I saved up, like where I needed to, like, if I was really working a, like a, a, you know, a spreadsheet that I've been working on to get some data input in, or if I was working on a, 
a long project that I needed just a lot of quiet time for, like that would always save, save them up for, for those weeks. So, because you're right, like it is kind of nice. Now other people see it the other way and it's like, well, when the office is dead, it's hard to motivate. And I, I get that. I was always just the other end of the spectrum there. Very, uh, so, so for everyone that's uh, trying, struggling to motivate this week and is turning to the, the podcast, we're here for you. That, that's that's, that's right. what I'm trying to say here. That's right. What, uh, one other thing, you, this, this is probably like the third time I've said this in the last six podcasts, but I uh, apologize for my voice. I, uh, <laughs> the cold season has been difficult on me, uh, probably just in large part because, you know, hey, we haven't been exposed to a lot over the last couple of years because we've been, you know, sheltering from COVID in a lot of cases. So, uh, you know, the, it seems like the cold season has hit has hit me particularly difficult. This is like my second or third cold just since the beginning of November. So uh, I'm going through it right now, uh, you know, but uh, feeling feeling well enough to do this podcast. But it does mean you're going to get a little bit of a uh, little bit of a lower baritone for me. You may get a voice catch here from time to time. But I just got uh, just down to my latest uh, nice steaming cup of Theraflu. So um, so I'm feeling OK, although it is. I will say it is the berry version of the Theraflu. I much prefer the uh, honey lemon tea version of Theraflu because it actually does, like as you're drinking it, like you can really talk yourself into, oh, this is just a cup of hot tea. The berry one though has a medicinal quality to the taste that I am not super fond of. Also, it is infused with menthol. And so it also just kind of tastes like I'm smoking a pack of Newports. So um, not my favorite, but I'm plowing through it and it's the only flavor the grocery store that I went to this morning to get it had. So that's what I got, but it will help me get through this here podcast. Well, there you go. We're, uh, we're battling through trying to get to the finish line here in, uh, in 2021. And we're doing that today, talking about Wake Forest, uh, the Demon Deacons last year, a disappointing under 500 record, both in the league and overall. Um, they dealt with a lot in terms of injuries and COVID and following the season, uh, they had some changes made on the coaching staff. And, you know, frankly, to, to peel back the current a little bit here, we don't often talk with coaches that are coming off of challenging seasons here on the podcast. Uh, Joe and I like a lot more are, are a lot more likely to, to pull on or to, to, you know, bring on, somebody who won their conference or had a, a nice tournament run or, or at the very least, you know, made the tournament. Um, but this is, this is a little bit of a different story here with Wake Forest, but I think there's, uh, you know, the, the, the Demon Deacons are, are an interesting program. They made super regionals in 2018, of course, and um, lost Florida, or that was 2017. Uh, lost to Florida. They they hosted regionals. You know they, they've done some some good things as a program. But the last couple of years, I mean, obviously, 2020 was challenging for everyone. Um, but they were up and down before the the season was canceled. They were in the preseason top 25, and then they were uh, they, they they had had a lot of mixed results in the the short season. And then 2021 didn't go as they would have hoped on most levels. And now here they are, though, they have they, they brought in the best recruiting class in program history, at least according to the Baseball America recruiting rankings. Like we'll see what the the, the freshmen do uh, over the next few years. And they're stacking that up against a, a group of freshmen that played really, really well in 2021, even though the, the overall season didn't go so great. Um, 
you know, so they're starting to, to put together another really group, a really good group. And, and we'll, I'll be very curious to see, see where things go. So, um, in, with that being the context, I, I just think that this is a kind of a fascinating program right now. And, um, you know, it was, it was great to hear what Tom Walter feels about this group now as, as they enter the, uh, what, what should be a pretty important and pretty interesting spring. Yeah, it does feel like a, um, a little bit of a, a new beginning for a program and, and a, one that, um, which is simple to say, obviously, because that they are turning over a lot of roster. But I just mean in terms of, you know, that things went so poorly last year, whether you, you talk about the COVID, you talk about, you know, he talks about the injuries, you know, you'll hear him talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, you, you talk about just having a, a veteran group that, that frankly, you know, I, I appreciated his candor in saying, some things about, you know, we just had a veteran group that didn't think they'd be here right now. They thought they'd be in pro ball. And so a lot of things conspired to make last season really difficult for Wake. And they were underwhelming if you go back to 2019 with a similar group of players. And um, so, you know, this this young group of players and the freshman class that just showed up, I think, has given some new hope into this program. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily like a long rebuild project in front of them. I think this is a team that that could win now. Well, I guess we'll get into more of the specifics of that as we go, but it would not, it does not seem um, implausible for that team to be good right away. And certainly it looks like a team that's really building for something, you know, next year and the year after. Absolutely. So with that, let's, uh, let's just get to Tom Walter and uh, we're, we're, you know, again, it's, it's an interesting time in the Wake Forest program. So we're, we're very interested to, uh, to hear what he has to say uh, about this group as uh, as he looks reflects on 2021 and, and looks ahead to 2022. So we'll talk with Wake Forest coach Tom Walter here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Wake Forest coach Tom Walter. Uh, Wake Forest coming off of a challenging 2021 season, Coach, uh, but I know the, the future remains bright there in Winston-Salem, bringing in a top 25 recruiting class uh, this this fall, a lot to look forward to to the 2022 season. So we are, we're excited to hear from you about the, the Deeks and, and everything around the, uh, the Wake Forest program here. Yeah, thanks, Teddy, and thanks, Joe, for having me on this morning. It's uh, it's an honor to be involved with Baseball America. You guys are the flagship uh, publication for college baseball, so we're super excited to be here. Yeah, so let's uh, let's dive into this. I guess last year obviously was not the year anyone at Wake Forest was was hoping for baseball wise. Um, finishes at twenty and twenty seven. In some ways, though, I from the outside, it felt like the season never really got started because you guys got hit by COVID so early. You you had to to shut down. What were the challenges from uh, from dealing with that, and then from you know just trying to keep the team together and, and, and keep pushing? And, and you did got that they they did a pretty good job of that because you ended the season with a, a sweep of Pittsburgh. Yeah, Teddy, it was, it was certainly challenging. You know, we started the season with with two injuries to, you know, our two of our top three pitchers went down within the first week of the season. Um, you know, we lost Antonio Menendez and Shane Smith. I mean, Tony was going to be our Friday night guy and, and Shane was probably going to be our Sunday guy. And, um, you know, both had pre-existing injuries in, in high school and uh, and just, you know, kind of bubbled to the surface at the wrong time. But um but, you know, anytime you lose two of your top three or four guys like that, I mean, certainly Will, Will Fleming and Ryan Cusick were, were talented and, and Eric Adler at the back. But so we still had some pieces. But, you know, for a school like Wake Forest, you know, anytime we're losing two of our top three arms like that, it's, it's going to be hard for us to recover from that. And then, you know, we got off to a little bit of a slow start, you know, beat Northeastern two out of three, you know, lost a game there that we probably should have won you know, lost the game to Coastal and extra innings at home that we probably should have won and then lost two out of three to Notre Dame. So, you know, kind of started out a little slow, um, you know, um, compared to how we, we thought we'd start. And, um, and then, as you said, we got hit with COVID. Um, so, you know, on the heels of that, um, you know, COVID came in and, and um, you know, we ended up missing the Boston College weekend. And then we went down to Miami with, with basically half a team um, down to Miami. And, and so, you know, to say we had a rocky start is, is probably a gross understatement. And then, um, you know, and then you add to it that truthfully, we had a bunch of seniors who were disappointed they weren't drafted last year, would have been guys that in a, in a typical draft had, would have gone in the, you know, probably sixth, seventh, eighth rounds, kind of right in there. And, and you, when you get off to a rocky start and you've got a bunch of seniors and we had some injuries that, you know, the reality is we you know, we had some guys that, that really just started to play for the draft and play for themselves. And, and the team, you know, took a back seat and, and, and that made it super challenging for us. You know, I'm curious if you've had time to reflect now, I mean, we're, um, you know, believe it or not coming up on, on two years from the time that COVID became a thing in all of our lives. And we, we learned what that was together. Um, I'm curious if you've had a little bit of time to reflect at this point on how dealing with that and going through that and kind of guiding your team through that has, 
bettered you as a coach or just at least changed you as a coach now that you've had some time, you know, you would all had so long dealing with it. Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of things. I think first and foremost, I think something that's super on my radar screen now that probably wasn't, you know, three or four years ago was is the mental health of our student athletes. You know, they they feel so much more anxiety and stress. And I think some of it is COVID related and some of it is just the, the nature of social media and things like that. But they they feel more pressure than ever before. And, and I think as coaches, it's our responsibility to be more in tune to that. And, and have a deeper relationship with our players um, so that we can help them, um, you know, help guide them and, and, and be there for them um, because things are, things are tougher than ever before. So I, I feel for these high school and college age kids that have had to, to go through this COVID period where there's just um, so much uncertainty and, uh, and anxiety. So, so yeah, I, I agree. It certainly changed the way we coach and that we have to develop deeper and more meaningful relationships with our players. You mentioned that, and you know, your son has gone through that. He's playing at Georgetown now. Has has that helped you to to realize that maybe even more? You know, seeing his his journey through all of this and Georgetown struggle to get on the field last year, and, and all the rest of the things that have come with that. Yeah, I think for all of us, um, Teddy, it's you know, there's just so much more on our plate than ever before. It's it's um, you know, you know, I, I remember the days fondly where it used to be just about you know tamping the mound, cutting the grass and, and rolling the bats and balls out there. And uh, it just seems like it's, it's, it's just a lot more complicated than that. You know, last year, you know, the travel plans alone, you know, just, you know, two buses and meals and, you know, keeping guys safe and staying on guys about being masked up and, you know, and all those things. And then, you know, trying to get the vac vaccines in the middle of the season and all those things. I mean, there was just a lot on everybody's plate last year and obviously not just Wake Forest, but, but everybody everywhere. So, um, you know, it just, it's been, it's been complex um, to say the least. And, um, but you know, it's the, it's the world we live in. And, and it's, and as I tell our players up to, you know, all the time, it's up to us to adjust to the world because the world's not going to adjust to us. Let's uh, transition to some on the field stuff here. Talk a little bit about the team. Um, I guess actually first question would be on, on the coaching staff. You added uh, over the offseason Corey Mascara to the coaching staff as the pitching coach. Uh, fans probably previously remember him a little bit from his time at Maryland. Uh, what has he brought to the table uh, so far as you've seen him work with your guys? Well, I just love our staff additions. You know, the reality is, um, you know, we've got a, we've got Corey in the, as a pitching coach. We've got Ty Blank Myers, our volunteer, and then Mike McFerrin as our new player development coordinator. So, you know, if you look at our our kind of our staff of five coaches, you know, the three three coaches, the volunteer, and the player development guy you know, only Bill Salento and myself are still here. So we've turned over, you know, three of the five and, and, the, and it's been a great change for us. I mean, again, we love Joey Hammond and he's going to do great things at high point and we miss him here every day. And, and same thing with John Hendricks, who's back in pro ball. I mean, John did some great things with our pitchers, obviously with Jared Schuster and Ryan Cusick. Um, and we miss John every day, but um, I love the new energy and passion. Um, we've had a, a great culture shift. Um, that started with our team and, and our guys are a lot more team focused it and it started last year you know it started during the season last year I had a meeting with our leverage freshmen um, you know in the middle of April last year and basically you know sat down with them and said you know hey you know with the Brock Wilkins and Cam Manassis and Rhett Louder and those guys Teddy McGraw we've got a super super talented group of sophomores in here 
Um, and I know some of those guys have been been ranked in your 2023 draft uh, prospect list. But my point is, I sat down with those guys and I said, hey, you know, this reminds me a lot of the 2015 season that we had at Wake Forest, where we had, you know, some guys that that weren't as invested as they needed to be. And we needed to clean a little bit of house. And uh, and we were able to do that in 2016. We're in a regional in 2017. We're in a super regional. So, you know, point is, we, we needed to make some changes, um, uh, not just I'm not talking about staff changes. I'm just talking about changes in our team culture and our freshmen uh, at the time who are now sophomores totally bought into that. And then guys like Eric Adler and Adam Ciceri and Pierce Bennett, you know, I was in touch with them all summer you know, just talking through some of this stuff and they, and they really rallied the guys this summer, the older guys, the, the now juniors and seniors, Michael Tarconi, Brendan Tinsman, those guys, and, and, and we're a closer knit bunch than ever before. So the addition of, of Corey Mascara, Ty Blankmeyer and Mike McFerrin, um, and the, in addition to the players, you know, being more intentional about team culture and, and who we are and, and what's important to us. Um, has been a, a welcome and, and much needed change. So we couldn't be more excited about where this program's headed. You mentioned last year's freshman class and uh, you know, now sophomores, and those guys are, you know, we saw what they did last year. You saw what they did over the summer, guys like Wilkin and McGraw, and they, they have continued to develop, it seems like. And now this year you add another really talented class, one with more hype, at least right now, than, than last year's group. So what um uh, you know we we, we got to see what they do in the spring but what did you see from from the incoming freshmen uh this fall that that stood out to you yeah really 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 like our our freshman position players that are here now you know we've got uh, Danny Corona who I think is going to be a special player here you know I'm not sure he'll be ready to play shortstop as a freshman might have to play second for a year um, and Michael Tarconi will play short. It's hard to say. We'll see what it looks like in January as, as far as who's going to be where. But Danny's a special talent, and we're super excited about him. Nick Kurtz is another guy um, that we feel like is going to do some really great things here. He's got a special bat. You know, he's kind of right in that, you know, Gavin Sheets, Bobby Seymour, you know, as far as those, those big power left-handed bats that have come in here and done so well. Um, and he's he's, you know, just as good as those guys were at, at this age, you know, who, who's to say whether he'll make the adjustments that they made or, or stay committed or, or stay healthy. But um, but certainly at this point in the game, it's, um, you know, it's exciting to have watched him come along. We've got a couple other we got a couple catchers that we really like in Gio Cueto and, and uh, Mark Black and Chris Katz, even who swings the bat really well, Ellie Kligman. So we added some catching depth um, that we much needed. And then on the mound, you know, Josh Hartle, I mean, uh, you know, he's as good a left-handed pitcher as there is. Um, and uh, he's going to be in our conference rotation, you know, from day one. And uh, he had a great fall. And Josh is one of those guys that uh, he's got a low heartbeat, you know, and he just, and he makes pitches and he's got three pitches that he can throw anytime in the count. And he's, and he, and he's got command, you know, for his age to throw as many strikes as he does and, and put the ball where he wants, um, you know, is, is unique. We don't see that as much anymore. And, and um, you know, if he had, if he hadn't pulled his name out of the draft, you know, he probably would have gotten two and a half or $3 million, you know, and it's for us to get a, you know, you look at Vanderbilt's championship teams and, you know, they had one of those guys that turned down that kind of money and showed up on campus and, and led them to a championship. So, you know, Josh is, is one of those guys that can uh, that can change a program. 
you've mentioned their names a couple of times here, but you've had a little run here of, of, with, with Schuster and, and now last year with Cusick, where guys have developed over their time on campus, kind of come into their own and then end up, you know, getting drafted high and then going on to, to pro ball at high expectations. Looking at your pitching staff now, um, how confident are you you've got that that next guy in line or group of guys who could challenge to be that next guy in line to follow in the shoes of Schuster and Cusick, et cetera? Yeah, we've got some really talented power arms. You know, we're talking about Eric Adler, who was the Cape League reliever of the year. You know, he gave up one run all summer uh, up on the Cape. He's added, you know, Moose has done a great job. Moose and Mike have done a great job with him. He's added two breaking balls. So last year he kind of had a half of a breaking ball and a really good fastball. And now he's got two good breaking balls and a good fastball and, and an improving changeup. So, um, you know, we've got Eric Adler and then you've got Cam Manassi is another guy and then Rhett Louder and Teddy McGraw and Josh Hartle. Um, you know, so you go down our list, you look at Zach Grace, a transfer from Iona that's come in here. Brendan Oxford's throwing the ball really well. Um, Gabe Golub's a transfer from NYU. You know, when I start to look at this year's staff, um, I'm super excited about it because of its depth, but also because we've got some different looks. We're more left-handed than we've been um, in previous years. Crawford Wade had a good fall. Seth Keener had a good fall. And, and so we've got some guys that are battling. You know, I think it's, um, you know, you look at a guy like Reed Muscolo and, and Reed is super talented and, and I know he's going to be a big part of the staff. And he did a great job as our Tuesday starter um, last year and, and had a solid year for us, you know, and, and this year he's battling for a role. You know, so it's like if you have a guy who is a good Tuesday starter for you and this year it's uncertain what his role is going to be the following year, that means you have a pretty good pitching staff. So, and again, we've got to stay healthy and uh, and the guys have to continue to buy in. But but uh, but so far, I, I couldn't be more excited about, you know, the potential that we have on our staff. And, you know, again, um, I don't know that we'll have a first rounder this year, you know, coming off Schuster and Cusick. But I think the following year, there's a really good chance. And then the year after. After that again so um so yeah i'm i'm excited about the firepower we have on our staff we saw a really impressive freshman spring uh from from brock wilkin and if anything he was even better over the summer in the cape cod league he won mvp honors as a uh you know rising sophomore that's the first time that's happened in, in more than a decade on the cape what is it about Brock that let him step into your lineup on, on day one and has just led to so much, so such an easy transition to college baseball overall? Well, it's his, it's his work ethic and his intentionality. I mean, that guy, he lives baseball. You know, when we talk to our guys all the time, it's like, you know, do you, do you plan your day around baseball or are you plan baseball around your day? I think there's a big distinction there. And Brock is a guy that plans his day around baseball. It's like, what he eats, you know, the body, the transition he's made in his body since he'd been here has been, is unbelievable. I mean, my best comp for Brock is, I, I think he can be Scott Rowland um, at the next level. And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a potential hall of famer there. I mean, so, you know, I just love that young man and, and he just puts in so much work. He makes everybody around him better. Um, and uh, he's just relentless. I mean, the guy, he hits four or five times a day, um, you know, taking ground balls. Ty Blackmire's done a great job with him on the defensive part of things. I mean, last year I would have told you he was an adequate third baseman at, in the ACC last year. This year he's going to be an above average ACC third baseman. And, and at, at some point you're going to look at him as a plus defender, um, you know, because he can throw. He's moving much better. 
and uh, and he works so hard at. So again, his the the transition, the transformation he's made on defense has been special too. So I just love that young man. And and if we can get Adam Ciceri and Nick Kurtz and Danny Corona and Michael Turconi and Brendan Tinsman and those guys that that are super talented around him to to get on base in front of him and protect him behind him, um, you know, he's going to be tough for people to deal with. Last year, we had you and your former player, Kevin Jordan, on the podcast to talk about the organization you guys founded together, get in the game, um, you know, working with with school children uh, to, you know, kind of broaden some of the, the dialogue around race in, in this country. Uh, so what what's uh, what can you tell us about what the that organization has has been able been up to over over the last year and, and where you guys are at these days? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's been pretty. It's been a pretty awesome ride, and and fortunately, we've got great staff and and people um, that are that are doing the work and allow me to coach baseball. Um, but um, but we won an ESPN award, so we won a Stuart Scott Inspire Award this past summer as part of the Sports Humanitarian Awards um, through ESPN, and and it was picked up by ABC, um, which was you know. I mean, I, I don't even have the words. I mean, to be up there on stage with Billie Jean King and Joe Torrey and so many people that are doing so many wonderful things in this world is is, is an unbelievable honor. And we were very humbled um, by that. And um, and um, and Stuart Scott's a Winston-Salem guy. A lot of people don't know that, but Stuart, Stuart from Winston-Salem, went to high school here, grew up here. And uh, so it meant, it meant extra, it was extra special for us, you know, given that, that Stuart's one of our, one of our hometown guys, but um, we've got some exciting things coming up. I can't say what they are, but we've got some exciting things coming up with um, with ESPN that you're going to be hearing a lot about soon uh, between ESPN and Disney. But um, but point is, is that we've grown our program. So we were, you know, the first year we worked with about a hundred students, um, you know, in a pilot program. We're still in the pilot phase, still tweaking the curriculum and the program. We're working with about a thousand students this year and. And so we're right on pace. You know, our goal has been to, to 10x um, the number of students we're working with each year. So year one, 100, year two, 1,000, next year, 10,000, and the year after that, 100,000. And uh, we're, we're right on schedule and pace to continue to make that impact. And, and most importantly, you know, we're getting these kids out into their community, uh, performing some community service and, and, and helping to level the playing field in, in their hometowns. So we will start to wrap up here uh, with our final question. Uh, it seems apropos given that uh, this is Christmas week, uh, we're coming up on, believe it or not, uh, Christmas uh, later this week, just around the corner. Um, and we like to wrap up talking about food a little bit. So uh, we will posit to you, uh, Coach Walter, the question of, uh, you know, what kind of food uh, is, is eaten typically around the Walter household? I know there's not necessarily um, it's much of a strong link between, you know, Thanksgiving and turkey. I know some people do ham on Christmas. Some people just kind of roll the turkey out again for Christmas. Uh, my family goes completely off the board, and we usually make some homemade Mexican food. Um, so in the Walter household, what is the Christmas spread looking like year to year? So my mom's birthday is on the 22nd, and she loves rack of lamb. So we are, uh, we combine our Christmas and her birthday dinner and we do a, a we do a rack of lamb every year. So we're we're all in on lamb. You know, we're th Thanksgiving is my favorite meal because my mom gets the dried corn from back in my hometown of Johnstown that I love. It's it's a special kind of corn. If you haven't had it, put it on your bucket list. 
you know, so I'm like a corn mashed potatoes, you know, stuffing and, and turkey guy. And that's my favorite meal of the year. Like right there, I could eat that meal 300 days a year. But, um, but for Christmas, you know, because of my mom and, and her French heritage and, and um, her father's, you know, favorite dish to make was rack of lamb. So we're a rack of lamb family. And that is a that is an answer I didn't I I did not anticipate hearing. So I got how we were looking for there. Are there specific sides that go along with that, or or kind of annual traditions, or do you mix and match that a little bit? So my sister will, will make her her John Wayne casserole. That's her that's her thing. Um, I can't tell you what's in that, but it's a lot of cheese and egg and potatoes. I don't know. So, but it's really good. And, um, and her husband will typically make some like, um, English pudding or things like that. So it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty eclectic spread, so to speak, um, that we, uh, you know, we're, we're not for lack of food in the Walter household, um, at, on, on any day, let alone the holidays. Well, that is, uh, that, that, that sounds like a great, you know, double celebration. It's not just one celebration. You're getting, you're getting two there. And, uh, you know, hopefully it, it, it's a, it's a fantastic one. I, I can't believe that we're already at the holidays myself, but we're, uh, we're looking forward to it. And, uh, it sounds like you are as well. No, for sure, guys. I hope you have a great one. Again, I really appreciate everything you do for our game and, and appreciate you having me on here and, um, your support means a lot to our program and to college baseball. Absolutely. We're, we're looking forward to seeing what the Deeks have in 2022. And we thank you, uh, Coach Walter, for, for taking the time to, to break it all down with us. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Joe. Have a great one. Thank you again to Wake Forest coach Tom Walter for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, we talked about it a little bit before, but I mean, it's um, I just, just hearing everything that Wake went through last year in terms of injuries and then COVID, uh, you know, it, with that being the context, you know, it, it is kind of understandable how the season got away from them as quickly as it did. But, you know, even with that happening, you still had Brock Wilkin putting together a great freshman season. You had Eric Adler showing some things at the back end of the bullpen. And, you know, they had a, you know, a variety of other younger players that, that stepped up. And I mean, it, it, it just kind of, it makes it easy to, to feel like despite that, that subpar season, that there still was decent progress made that they can build on moving forward. Yeah. It's just a, it's a weird season. I mean, you alluded to it in the intro when we were, we were bringing coach Walter on. I mean, they swept it to end the season. You know, um, and Pitt at that point was kind of the wheels are falling off a little. And that was a Pitt team that was going from being among the 20 initial host sites to not being in the field of 64 at all. So we, we all know what was happening there. But Wake was the one that delivered the final blow there. Um, you know, if Pitt wins that series, it's probably a whole different story. And so they, they did that. They also won a series against Florida State uh, right in the teeth of the season. Um, it's also at the beginning of the year. Right. I mean, he talked about, you know, we, we won a series against Northeastern and probably should have swept it. And that Northeastern team turned out to be really, really good. When we talked to their coach a couple of weeks ago for the reason that they were, you know, coming off a really good season, as you talked about, we talked to the talk to coaches who are coming off a good season. So, um, and they played Notre Dame in that first weekend, granted it was first weekend of ACC play, but you know, they played Notre Dame about as well as just about anybody um, as we, as we later saw. So, it, it, you know, it kind of strikes me that the seeds were there for this team to be, to be pretty good. I, you know, I, there were enough instances, though, of players that just underperformed, 
or just didn't quite look themselves or what have you that I, I still don't know that I would have had a ton of confidence in the result being wildly different necessarily. But I think this team could have been a regional team had things just played out a little more in their favor and, you know, could have, should have, would have, that's the, the, the way this stuff goes. But um, there was enough good in there that, you know, you could squint hard enough and kind of see like, okay, like things really did just get sideways on this team. This is not a case of a team that was just completely out of sorts and, and had no hope. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange deal that you know you look at a team now that that is without Bobby Seymour, who at one point was the ACC Player of the Year a couple of years ago, um, and Chris Lanzilli moved on, and he was such a regular in the lineup, and, and they lost several other players, and it's like, well, okay, but you know, e- even if we hadn't heard that, you know, that some things may not have been quite right mentally or whatever with the makeup of the team, like it, it still is like, well something just wasn't working with that group and now they're going to get a clean ish break and, and, and a fresh start with, uh, with, with these, th- this, especially this, this 2023 group with Brock Wilkin leading the way, but also, I mean, they've got, they've got talented juniors as well. And, and those are, it's their team now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it reminds me of just the idea that, you know, roster building and putting together a team that, um, that is ready to compete, especially in a conference like the ACC is not an exact science because you, you add up the pieces from last year as, as you kind of did and you go, okay, well, that's a team that, you know, is competitive, should probably be in the mix for regional and it just didn't work out that way. And, you know, by the way, you know, talks about, you know, talking about how, there were some guys who were maybe disappointed to be there, you know, maybe weren't as bought in as, as they could have been like, you know, obviously it didn't work out, but you could also kind of understand that a little bit, you know, like you 2020 was your year, right. You're going to get drafted. The team's going to be good. Um, you know, th- these, these are guys who mind you were recruited and came to campus in the aftermath of that 2017 super regional team. So, you know, you come to campus feeling like, okay, we're the next group that's going to do that. So, you're looking at 2020 as the year and, and you, you know, you, the season gets started and maybe, you know, you're off to a little bit of an uneven start, but you have the whole season in front of you, basically all of ACC play save for one series. Um, but then the season gets canceled. Then you're like, okay, well that didn't work out, but Hey, you know, I'm still getting a chance to start my pro career and okay, that gets taken from you. And um, you know, we could re litigate the five round draft and the $20,000 signing bonus and all that jazz. But the reality of that was the situation. And, so now you end up back in 2021 and oh, by the way, you're going to have to wear masks all the time and your fall practice is going to basically be you having to be, you know, put into these small groups and you, you can't really hang out like you used to do. And our road trips are going to be extra cautious and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And that's just not like, it is kind of understandable at the same time, you know, as we can, we can be disappointed in the results, but you can also understand where some of that might be be coming from and so some of those guys have moved on you know some of those veterans other guys have transferred and, and what have you and so you, you kind of hope that maybe a little bit of a fresh start there is helpful and I think the same could be the case with Wake Forest I you know I put them in my bounce back team to watch because like as we've talked about time and again here on this podcast you know that that young core is is, is pretty doggone good and if you just isolate those younger players you know Wake is right there with most of the rest of the ACC of course, there's more to it than that. And I think what's tricky about the ACC is that I think we feel pretty good about Notre Dame at this point, um, given what they return. And we talked about Louisville a couple of weeks ago and um, the idea that, yeah, they weren't very good last year, but 
given their history, you expect them to be back next year. And there are teams you can set your watch to. I, you know, I think it, we think NC State's going to be pretty good again, thanks in, in large part to a transfer class there and a talented group of freshmen. But there are a whole bunch of teams in the middle of that conference that you can make pretty compelling cases of why they're going to be better and also pretty compelling cases why they might get buried in the ACC. And so I think last year's results are tough to read because of the, um, you know, not just COVID cancellations, but the ACC played so many conference games that it kind of felt like everybody got squished in the middle as opposed to teams kind of um, ending up on one of the standings or the other. So this is a really hard season to read in terms of what to expect in the ACC because it feels like last year's data is kind of noisy for a lot of different reasons. Um, and also uh, it complicates it when you have a team like Wake that would be really easy to just stick them at the bottom of the you know, predicted standings because of their struggles last year, but that would, wouldn't be fair to how talented this team is in terms of their young players. Before we kind of try and make sense of where Wake Forest might fit within the ACC in 22, uh, Joe, you, you saw them this fall. What, what did you think when you were able to, uh, to get out there and, and take a look at the Deeks? Yeah, I, well, first of all, there was just an energy about them at practice, and that can be like a really ephemeral thing, like that doesn't, like it can mean something and it could not, right? I mean, like that's that's the kind of thing, like if the team ends up being good, you can point to it and say like, see, I, I saw this in the fall, it's got a good energy about them, and if they're not good, you it doesn't mean anything, right? So, but they did have that kind of energy about them, and I think, you know, I think the, when we talked to him about his new coaches, like it, it kind of ended up being a bigger conversation, but specifically Corey Mascara, who's their new pitching coach, who comes from Maryland and, and did some good things there. Um, like that guy brings some real energy to the proceedings. And so he kind of was, you know, maybe ringleader is not the right word, but you know, he was just bouncing everywhere and was like just buzzing around the field and was interacting, not just with his pitchers, but with the hitters and, you know, um, you know, a little bit with the analytics team. They have a, Wake has a pretty robust student analytics team that, that helps them out. And, you know, he went over and talked to them and like, he was just all over the place. And so I think there was a, Kind of a palpable energy there um the other thing that struck me about it is that it feels to me like the depth of talent is better than it has been the last couple of years and i don't want to take anything away from um some of the guys they've had but you know i think they had some they had some real dudes but i think they also had some guys that were able to take advantage of the fact they play in a really hitter friendly park um and maybe had some numbers that were they were good performers, but they weren't necessarily like, you know, real, real dudes necessarily. And on the mound, they had a lot of throwers. I don't know how many pitchers they had. They had good stuff, but, you know, and, you know, some of those guys struggle with the transition from, from hitter to pitcher. And so we have to see them do it, but I was really impressed. You know, it's Brock Wilkin obviously is the standout guy in, in that lineup, but I've liked Michael Cerconi since I saw him in the summer a couple of years ago. I think he's just a really solid guy, has a little more juice in his bat. Um, than you would think, given his given his stature, um, you know, Lucas Costello is another guy I think could end up having a breakout year for them. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a guy or, or two there, but you know, among the freshmen, Danny Corona really looks the part. I mean, that's a you know a shortstop by trade, but is a, a big, strong kid who I think is kind of one of the next stars in, in this group. And then in the, on the mound, I don't, you know, I asked the question about is there a, another uh, Schuster or, or Cusick here and you know, unless it's, you know, I don't think Josh Hartle is ready for that right off the bat. Obviously, you can't be a draft eligible guy right off the bat, but I just mean in terms of being that level of pitcher, um, you know, Rhett Loader is maybe the guy there. Um, the stuff is certainly there. Um, 
And it's important to remember, even though we were a little bit disappointed in some of the pitching development Wake Forest showed or didn't show over the last couple of years, it is important to note that, you know, Schuster and Cusick both did take steps forward. There's a reason they got drafted in the first round. They did show some, some development, even if they were maybe a little more isolated on the, on the roster in terms of doing that versus some of the other guys. And so, um, so we've seen that step. Um, my big takeaway with Hartle is that the guy just really knows how to pitch. Like he, it, it's a scrimmage. Yes. I don't want to get too carried away. It was inner squad scrimmage, but um, you know, the, the guys he faced, he, he worked with pace. He was really knew how to spot his breaking ball. He worked quick, you know, worked quickly. It seemed to have an idea of what he wanted to do. And, and the at-bats against him just weren't, weren't very good. So I think those are all positive indicators. And so I, you know, whether Wake has the, the top end talent outside of their top one or two guys to compete at the, you know, to, to be a regional team or even better in the ACC, that remains to be seen. But I think the depth of talent here suggests that I think this team is, I think we'll be talking about this team as a real contender at the top of the ACC in 2023 and, and maybe beyond. But the question is really what we get immediately because that I'm, I'm a little less convinced of. The, the other guy to bring up is a uh, potential like first round arm is Teddy McGraw. And that again, yes, it's not, it's not a this year thing. Uh, so there <clears> might be a break. It might be that Adler is the top draft eligible arm. And, you know, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be among the best uh, or at least like in terms of draft regarded best relievers in the country. And I mean, that's highly unlikely to turn into a, a first round pick in 2022, like 20 years ago. 15 years ago, that might have, but probably not now. Uh, but I mean, he still should be a reasonably high draft pick. I would think he was sensational on the Cape. He's got power stuff. Um, I mean, it, it could be a instant impact kind of guy in pro ball. So, I mean, you've, you've got, you've got a lot of pieces there and yeah, I mean, I don't know precisely where this is going to go in 22. Um, you know, there's a difference between saying like Brock Wilkin is really good and, you know, Brock Wilkin could be a top 10 pick in 2023 and saying, well, okay, Brock Wilkin is now from opening day of 2022, ready to anchor the lineup of a, a, a team that, that is a, a top 25 team or, or better, you know? So, I mean, you're just asking a lot of, of some of these younger players potentially, but if, if he is able to do it, if Danny Corona uh, takes the step forward, if, if Josh Hartle is ready to go, you know, some of these other guys, then, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a really, really good team. So before we we went live, Joe and I were kind of talking about this. And you, know, you look at the ACC last year and, I mean, what, like half the conference made regionals. Um, teams that missed Louisville, Clemson, Wake, BC, Pitt, and Virginia Tech. Um, looking at that group, I mean, let's take Louisville out of this because they were as bubbly as you possibly could could be i think last year and historically they've been the best program in the acc over the you know since they joined the conference pretty much so like, let, let's let's ignore them for the time being and, and look at the pit virginia tech clemson and wake and bc and, and joe for the next three to four years like i mean where or even this year i guess take it however you want to take it where, where is your confidence in those programs and, and where does how, how would you who would you take as, as the program that you're most confident in? So run those off again for me so I can look at them as I look at like what they did. We last got year the Clemson time. Tigers, yep. the Demon Deacons, mm. BC Eagles, mm. Pitt Panthers, mm. 
and the Virginia Tech coaches. Yeah. So in terms of steadiness, I think I'd go Virginia Tech. And I think that's just a belief in, in John Sheff. You know, what he did at Maryland, I think, kind of stands alone a little bit. And so, although it should be noted, you know, the, the, the work that Eric Backage did before they got there, I think, is, is, is part of that story as well. But certainly he kept that ball really rolling and was able to, um, you know, succeed off of what had been built and what he continued to build. So, but I think there's a, I have a belief in that, I think, first as, as, as maybe the steadiest of these options. Um, so if you told me, hey, this is, the, this is the team that runs off three or four regionals in a row, like, I think that might be. Wow, I, don't, I don't know that's ever happened at Blacksburg. I'm, I'm looking that up right now. No, that probably hadn't been. You're right. I mean, that's probably a little bit aggressive just given the lack of history there. But but I, I just I, – that, that one feels like the bottom doesn't necessarily falls out of that, especially now that they have some things, you know, new facility, things of that nature. I don't think the bottom falls out of that one. But I think I think Wake probably has as much high end here as anybody else. I mean, what they – what that group of teams, a lot of them outside of maybe Clemson, um, you know, certainly more so than, than – Pitt and, and BC and in Virginia Tech, I mean, Wake has a geography advantage, you know, um, it also has, you know, it, you look at some of the stuff they have behind the scenes there. I mean, people may not really realize it, but Wake really doesn't, Wake has really pulled out all the stops in trying to be a hub of player development in their baseball program. Um, they've really put a lot of resources behind that. And so you look at their facilities and you look at their stadium first and foremost, and you might kind of go like, you yeah, know, okay, but there's a lot more to it when it comes to Wake than that. Now, the obvious answer here, I guess, I've probably glossed over a little bit is Clemson, just because the history there suggests that the regional miss last year was a little bit of an aberration. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably, by being so quick to say Virginia Tech, probably aired um, because Clemson, I think, is probably actually the right answer here. So I probably go, you know, Clemson based on the history. Virginia yeah. Tech is a bet on Chef. Um, but, I, you know, I like the ceiling of Wake as much as anybody else here, I think. I, I think, including Clemson, I probably should have thrown them out as well. Because, yes, it, if you look at Clemson expectations, look, they fired Jack Leggett because they were mad that they weren't going to Omaha often enough. So, like, that's where Clemson's expectations lie. They don't lie where the rest of the, these programs are. Now, you want to say, like, do you feel confident in Clemson meeting its lofty expectations like I think maybe that's a, a different conversation but yeah I suppose we, we have to just acknowledge that Clemson uh, is at a different place than most of the rest of these programs to circle back to Virginia Tech the best in program has best run in program history is either back-to-back -back regionals in 76 77 or making three regionals in six years from 94 to 90 99 or sorry four in seven, 94 to 2000. Uh, so also they made back-to-back -back in 99 to 2000. Um, trivia time, Joe. How many regionals has Virginia Tech made in the 21st century? So that we're, we're talking, so does that include 2000? Yeah, I mean, let's just say in the 64 team field era, which starts what, is that 97 is the first year? Yeah. The super so, regional era begins in 97? 99, I'm sorry. 99. 99. Okay. Yeah. So I have spotted you 99 and 2000. How many more times have they made it in the, the 64 era? Mm, so two more. I'm going to say four total. I think it was 06 and 13. It was 10 and 13. Mm -hmm. You are correct, though, that it is, is just four total. So, I mean, like, that's where that's what they're working with. So, and yeah, no pressure, John Chef. Just run off the best uh, <laughs> the best run of form in the history of Virginia Tech baseball, and you'll live up to my expectations. Yeah. I mean, like that that four and seven years is not bad, I will say. Um, so, yeah, I, like, if you're, if you're looking at Wake, 
and you're looking at, at BC and Pitt and Virginia Tech, like these are programs that are typically near the bottom of, of the conference. And, you know, most of those programs are not long-term ACC. You know, they, they haven't, they're not charter ACC members or whatever. Uh, half of them are coming from the Big East. So, I, you know, I mean, Pitt is just kind of in a different spot then in terms of um, investment and facilities and all the rest of that than a, a Virginia Tech or, or a Wake Forest. And I do think, though, I mean, you, you have to be confident in Wake Forest to, to have the top end ceiling there. Um, and, you know, then you start looking at the next little group of ACC schools uh, and, and you see that, that Duke has kind of graduated from being like we, we could have talked about Duke in the same way we're talking about Wake Forest and, and the rest of this group three years ago. But Duke has kind of risen above that at this point. You know, they've made two super regionals. They've won an ACC tournament. They're a program that uh, we just expect to, to make the tournament at this point and potentially be in the, the hosting conversation. And I think, I mean, obviously that's what Wake is trying to be. Wake has made a super regional. Wake has hosted. Like they're not that far off of where Duke is probably. It's just that for the last couple of years, things haven't gone quite right for the Deeks. And I think it's important for them to, you know, change that conversation quickly. And so that's why this 2022 season is so important because with a good year, they're not that far away from us talking about them the way we're talking about Duke. Uh, but if, if they let it linger, then, you know, it just becomes harder to, to get back to that level. It's kind of interesting that, you know, Wake and Duke working on those timelines where it's like, you know, Wake had some momentum there and Super Regional in 17 and, and Duke has kind of taken that and, and run with it, you know, and taken it a step further by getting there again. And they've become a, a stalwart in regionals. And it is kind of funny how those fates have, have shifted there a little bit. Uh, the interesting team to me in this group to see next year, because I think it could be instructive onto what to expect moving forward is Pitt, because they use the transfer portal pretty aggressively and so that suggests to me that they think, and they were close last year, but it suggests to me they think the roster coming back is they want to use last year as a springboard as opposed to, okay, now we're, we're going we're gonna to build it back. And so if Pitt is, is the same or better next year, um, A, it might show that, hey, okay, they kind of maybe have a little bit of a formula here and they maybe have figured some, some things out. Um, but it could also be that they take a little bit of a step back and you go, okay, maybe maybe 2021, they were, they perhaps overachieved a little bit um, to get where they were because you and I even played that game during the season with Pitt where it was kind of like, they were winning games, but we weren't, we weren't really hundred percent sure what Pitt was hanging its hat on in terms of how they were winning the games. And so they did always kind of have like a little bit of, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but it always just kind of did have this mysterious quality to it. And so I, I would also believe that next year the roster is as good or better as it was last year, but the results just aren't quite as good. And that's the one where I'm, I'm just not confident in which way that is going to go. I think it'll go a little bit in one way or the other. I don't think the results are wildly different, but I, I couldn't really predict to you which way that's going to go. The one I'm probably most confident in, I hate to say it, is I just think, I think, you know, BC's got some individual players next year who I like. I mean, I guess you could bet on a bounce back year from Mason Pelio. Uh, Luke Gold on, on the infield is a, is a really nice player, but they just lost between Freilich and Morissette and Emmett Sheehan and the rotation, like that's just a lot to lose for a team that was operating, was going to have to maximize its roster last year to be a regional team. And clearly they were, they were very far from that in the end for a lot of different reasons. Their season was not too dissimilar from Wake in that way. 
Um, but I just think next year for BC, although we like the general trajectory of BC, I think you and I, I just think next year could be the season where it, you know, it kind of ends up uh, coming back down a little bit to where they have to build up again. BC won 10 ACC games last year. Uh, they had a 303 conference winning percentage. Now, because they're playing, they, they played 33 conference games last year and only played 30 this year, or close to 30, assuming that everything goes off. Uh, I'm going to say they have a better conference record next. I, I think they can do better than 10 and 23. Do they have more than 10 raw wins? Like, I, again, like they're probably going to play three fewer games. I don't know, but I, uh, I'll take them for north of 303 winning percentage in ACC play. All right. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, guess, and I, I know what that's saying. Like, I, I understand. Like, look, South Raylick was a top 10, 15 pick, wherever it was the Bruce pick this year. I guess it was probably not in the top 10. Uh, and Morissetti was not that far off from there. Like, I still, like, I, I, I think BC's going to do better than 303 conference winning percentage. All right. Well, there you have it. I mean, the, the thing about it is, too, is like, I would probably change my tune a little bit if I went year by year and looked at what the worst records in the ACC were, because, you know, there, there are only so many times when you see a team that really bottoms out and does something like five and 25, right? I mean, right. the worst teams are typically winning seven or eight games in conference. And then ultimately you're not, you're not far off when you get to that. Yeah. Point. I mean, just like in the sec last year, the two bottom teams won nine games um, in a 30 game schedule. And, you know, the sec is not the ACC. Usually the ACC is one with a couple more games than the, than the ACC is and all the rest of that, but still like that's you're, you're, it seems reasonable to think that it'll be a little bit better, but you know, I mean, I, you start looking at, so for some of these teams to come up, if Wake Forest is going to have a better year, if Clemson is going to push back into, uh, you know, regionals, if, if Louisville is going to push back into regionals, like who is coming down and, you know, UNC went 18 and 18 in ACC play last year and rode Austin Love pretty heavily to that 18 and 18. I don't have the ACC stats in front of me about how many games they won with Austin Love on the mound and how many games they won without him. But I do know it was a lot of their wins came in games that Austin Love started and now they have to replace him. And, uh, you know, so that that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I, I don't know who else is, is necessarily falling uh, to, to make room for some of these teams. That That is what is going to make the middle of the ACC so interesting next year that, you know, I mean, remember UVA went 18 and 18 in ACC play. And for a while it looked like they weren't going to make the tournament. Yes. They went to Omaha and yes, I can feel very smug about how things ended up for UVA considering how far I pushed them out in the preseason of last year, but it didn't look great for a while for that. So, you know, they're going to have to be more consistent to, uh, to get to the level that we think they can be at. Um, you know, so I, again, the, the middle of the ACC is, uh, it, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how that shakes out. I mean, the top of the ACC will be, uh, interesting to, to try and figure as well, but we, we've got quite the challenge when it comes to trying to, you know, pick these, these ACC teams that are going in the preseason top 25 here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It almost guarantees that there's going to be some team in the middle now that you could optimistically say stays or makes a push that ultimately ends up really falling back. Cause that's just the math. Like there's, there's probably going to be at least one team that is just really not going to be happy with the way 2022 went down. And that, that team is almost, there are teams like that in just about every major conference across the country. And those are the teams that are always the hardest to predict. We're always, 
you know, in, in the prediction business, like we have to be in the preseason, we're almost always a year behind the trend on catching the teams that are on their way up. And we're, we're typically, a, you know, a year behind the trend on the teams that, that crater. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But, but that is going to almost certainly happen to one of these teams just based on the map of, of the standings next year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a tricky conference to sort out. I wouldn't say it's the hardest one. That's the Pac-12, but it's uh, it, it is definitely a challenge to to try and sort these teams out, especially because of the way uh, twenty one unfolded with so many games that were canceled and so many teams that were affected by COVID, and then uh, you know what you saw in the postseason from teams like NC State and UVA just turning it on and playing their best baseball at the best time and finishing the season in Omaha. Alrighty, that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College Podcast. We're uh, Joe. I don't know if we're coming back here next week. That's a that's a decision that we probably have to talk about. We probably won't. This is probably the last one for the 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 twenty twenty one calendar year. But we'll uh, the easiest way to know if there's a new episode of the Baseball America College Podcast is to download or to subscribe to your, to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere where you listen to podcasts, if you're subscribed, it goes right there into your phone. And then you don't have to wonder whether we decided to drop the surprise episode next week or not. Um, if we don't, uh, we will be back here in the new year and we'll be back here in the new year, regardless with, uh, plenty more, uh, podcasts to get ready for the 2022 season, which is now very, very rapidly approaching. Joe and I are have to flip into uh, preseason mode here. Just about, just about it. As soon as Christmas ends, we're we're gonna have to. Uh, as soon as the wrapping start. paper hits the floor. Yeah, exactly. We'll 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 have to hit the uh, hit the button and get that preseason issue production going. Um, so all of that is to say we'll have plenty more to come on the podcast, in the website, in the magazine, anywhere you can get Baseball America. Uh, we'll, we'll have the 2022 season preview coming at you. So make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and you are subscribed again to the podcast. Uh, so yeah, whenever we talk to you next, we'll, uh, we'll have more on the 2022 season. Until then, uh, for Joe, uh, I want to wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you to Tom Walter for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting this episode and every episode of the Baseball America College podcast. And thank you to everyone who has been listening uh, to this episode and, and throughout the offseason, sticking with us here uh, on the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.